Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Armchair Survivalist. My name is Kurt Wilson. I'm the Armchair Survivalist. You can go to armchairsurvivalist.com and uh, read all about me there. Scroll down on any of the pages, and it'll tell you all the different ways to listen to me. I'm on every podcast venue known to man. I'm on satellite. You can download my shows. Oh, by the way, and today is March the 28th in the year 2021. I got to remember to do that. I keep forgetting to date these shows. Let's get into it because I've got a lot of stuff to get handled today. I have uh, my company, Survival Enterprises. Uh, you can go to survivalenterprises.com, se1.us. You can look at the stuff that we have for sale. Some of the things that we have for sale in the store in Hayden, Idaho, we don't have on the website. We have the ham radios in, shortwave radios in. Now, I've told you before, ham radios are very hard to get right now. The companies are all out of them. Their supply chain is broken. So when you see one for sale, if you're looking for one, you better buy it. We, we have some, we have two left. I have two ham radios left in the store right now. I've got to try and find some more this weekend. And we have the Voyager shortwave radio. When the Schumer hits the fan, and it it hits the fan every day, ladies and gentlemen. You know, I have people all the time say, well, when is it going to happen? When is the Schumer going to hit the fan? It is every day. You just look around and there's earthquakes somewhere. There's hurricanes somewhere. There's tornadoes somewhere. So it's not like it's going to hit everybody at once. Unless, of course, you know, satellite hits or Nibiru comes back. Who knows? Buy everything that you want to get when you can get it because the supply chain is screwed up. Hell, a a ship turned sideways in the Suez Canal and now the supply chain isn't backed up. It's stopped. Think about what that's going to affect. We just got Mountain House buckets back in. I got to get them on the website, but these are five-day supply of food. It's called the Expedition. It's the uh, buckets. All right? I used to sell these things uh, seven years ago. We were a Mountain House major distributor, and we're getting back into it now. And that's hard, too. There's three different types of these buckets out there. They only have one available because the government's buying a lot of this food. It's freeze-dried. This stuff will last. They claim 25 years, but I can prove that it's lasted 50 years. Well, talk about that at some time. But I have the Mountain House buckets in. These are the Expedition buckets, and they're $150 delivered to anywhere in the United States. $150. If you come in the store, you'll see everything there. Now, if you want to call us and talk to us and place your order over the phone, it's area code uh, 310-295-9686. That's 310-295-9686. Now, I'm going to be getting into a little... What's my job here? What's my job? My job is to educate you. My job is to arm you with whatever tools and weapons are necessary for your survival. So knowledge is power. And the more you know, the more you know, the less you're surprised when it happens. You know what's going to happen, so you can expect it. It's uh, There's a show that I will be doing. It's called How to Choose Your Friends. And basically, the more you know about the mannerisms and how certain types of people act or react, the better you are evaluating whether or not you want those people around you. Now, there is a technique. This technique is known by uh, many different words, but it's called the 10th man. In an organization, and an organization could be a military organization, it could be a corporation, it could be uh, uh, the Boy Scouts, what have you. But what happens is when you have a group that makes determinations, and this could be five people, this could be nine people, this could be 20 people, but the smart people create what's known as the 10th man. This 10th man is a guy that's contrary to everyone else. What you have in organizations and groups is called group think. It's when they all agree on the same solutions. Oh, yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. Nobody actually takes an alternative view of the problem to come up with a solution. And that's the job of the 10th man is to come up with an alternative solution. So everybody has to look out and say, you know, he does have something there. 
I am a tenth man. Many of you are the tenth man. That You hear us every day on the air. Every day you read about us on the internet. We are the ones that come out and say, you know, all the government says that this, 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 and this is great for everybody, but I think differently. True skepticism doubts the official story. But instead, skepticism is used to doubt the doubters. People put the screws to those who propose a theory outside the norm while accepting the validity of the official story fed to them. Conspiracy theories hurt no one. Only good can come from questioning and postulating and coming up with hypotheses. Deceit is the native language of government, so what other option do we really have? You don't want conspiracy theory? Try telling the truth. Problem solved. Until then, not questioning is the only thing that's truly dangerous. There are no bad questions. Remember that one from your teachers? What happened to that logic? And when these conspiracy theorists are proven to be right, as in the case of NSA spying, where is the cosmic apology to those who were called crazy tinfoil hat-wearing Kool-Aid drinkers? Still forthcoming, I assume. I guess that tinfoil hat helped gain some clarity when these unquestioning dullards were busy trying to kill the messenger. Even Presidents George W. Bush and Obama have made public statements saying that we as a nation should not tolerate conspiracy theories. Why? Is there something to hide? That's a rhetorical question. And further, can you call a country free that doesn't tolerate dissenting viewpoints? Isn't that the point of America? Where does that leave the Constitution and freedom of press or freedom of speech for that matter? And if alternative theories are so wrong-headed, so devoid of truth, then why is it so important to devalue them? Why do presidents have to come make these statements? Truth can bring down their entire power structure. That's the reason why alternative theories are not to be tolerated. Their power comes from covering things up, suppressing secret knowledge and lying about the nature of reality. So they declare war on truth. Tell me, which one is actually more dangerous? Questioning or mindlessly conforming? So those that go around debunking all conspiratorial notions, claiming that they are skeptics when all they do is try to bring people away from critical thinking and back into the matrix, they are not skeptics at all. They are propagandists helping those in power cover up truth and prop up the hierarchy, accomplices to the crime. Some are paid agent provocateurs, and some are just self-policing trolls who are mind-controlled and love to tear down everything that doesn't sound possible to them. The reason it doesn't sound possible is that billions of dollars have been spent to convince you of the official story, which doesn't allow for any other possibility than the one they put forward. If I see a theory I don't necessarily resonate with, I just let it be. Why discourage public discourse and truth-seeking? I say good for them. Whether I agree or not, it takes courage to speak out. Only cowards bully people into accepting orthodoxy. The burden of proof is squarely on the official story, not those that doubt it. These so-called skeptics don't care about healthy debate of the message itself. They just want to attack the messenger. They claim to know the truth because they simply watch the news. And why would they lie? But the media is owned by the very people that they claim to be investigating. It's like the fox guarding the hen house. And more often than not, they will literally refuse to look at your evidence. Your opinion just doesn't sound possible. This is, of course, evil genius at work. What better way to hold on to power than create a delusional citizenry that will police itself? Has this person read Orwell's 1984? Do they have any idea that they are merely pawns of the Fabian Society's endgame? No. Here are a few notable conspiracy theories that prove to be true. Testing chemical weapons on poor neighborhoods in St. Louis taking the land from Native Americans, chemical companies spilling toxins, killing thousands while assassinating or silencing whistleblowers, MKUltra, Operation Paperclip, the CIA recently admitted the existence of Area 51, 
the IPCC admitting geoengineering. Weather control, nanotechnology, and smart dust admitted on NASA's own website. I could go on and on. Hitler famously said, the great masses will more easily fall victim to a big lie than to a small one. So the word skeptic has been hijacked and inverted. It's become a tool to subvert critical thinking rather than encourage it. In fact, the word government actually literally means mind control. So next time you question what the function of the government truly is, simply look at its etymology. In Latin, the meaning of govern comes from gubernatore, which is to control. And the definition of ment in Latin is mind. So government equals mind control. Let that sink in. Where is the proof of government corruption, you ask? How about the entirety of human history? As an ex-high school history teacher, I can say from experience that the state creeps in and purposefully ruins education. They steer creative teachers into dull gray prison cells called state standards, and those standards teach false history, period. Orwell's 1984 also predicted this redaction and editing process. Those that control the past control the future. They know that true history, combined with an informed public, is an overt threat to their power. Classroom history is boring and devoid of meaning. The reason that you see lethargic eye-rolling in classrooms is this. They inherently know that they're being fed state-sponsored bullshit. No matter what their intelligence level, almost all teenagers possess a great deal of intuition when it comes to being force-fed the official story. Instead of encouraging this kind of intuition, we talk to their parents and say we're concerned because they seem disengaged and checked out. They refuse to participate and do their homework. Yeah, so would I if people were lying directly to my face. In fact, it's this very knack for the truth that makes them excellent detectives and historians. If we simply told the truth, history would instantly become a favorite subject to millions of kids. Do they teach that founding father Ben Franklin was in the Hellfire Club? An eyes wide shut style satanic secret society that met in underground caves? Do they teach that they found the body parts and remains of dozens of young kids in Franklin's home? No. Do they teach that the Gulf of Tonkin was a false flag event? And what about Operation Paperclip? Instead of punishing Nazi war criminals after World War II, we actually rewarded them by letting them run NASA. What about MKUltra? President Clinton went on camera to apologize to the victims of mind control experiments. The government paid reparations to them, and yet to this day, MKUltra is that crazy mind control stuff that conspiracy theorists always talk about. The government admitted they were at fault, on record, but nope, the skeptics don't want to hear that because it just sounds crazy. There's just no way. Public education has two functions, programming and babysitting. Ah, uh, but many students resist, and they were my favorites. The kids that all the teachers hated, I loved them. They were colorful, funny, agitated, pissed off, rebellious, creative, and courageous. They refused to be seven of nine in the Borg Collective. From the Pavlovian bells between classes to the GMO fried food and sugar-laden cafeteria, it's much more a prison than a learning center. They teach that left brain good, right brain bad, remember and repeat is good, creativity is bad. How about putting cell towers on the top of schools and making sure they're bathing in Wi-Fi radiation and hundreds of cell phones carried by students in schools and these electromagnetic frequencies actually cause the symptoms of ADHD. Speaking of which, on his deathbed, the creator of ADHD, Dr. Leon Eisenberg, admitted that he made it up. It was totally phony. ADHD is a fraud intended to justify starting children on a life of drug addiction, said Dr. Edward C. Hamlin, a founding member of the Royal College of General Practitioners. 
but many parents would rather feed their kids personality-altering psychotropic drugs than spend 10 minutes researching this easily accessible information. In the 1950s, they advertised that refined sugar is the building block of energy, quote, low in calories and so healthy you can eat it right out of the box, unquote. Yeah, trust those guys with your children's health. Have you watched the movie World War Z? It wasn't a very good movie, frankly, but there was one important scene that was quite profound called The Tenth Man. Check it out. The problem with most people is that they don't believe something can happen until it already has. It's not stupidity or weakness. It's just human nature. The Tenth Man. If nine of us look at the same information and arrive at the exact same conclusion, it's the duty of the Tenth Man to disagree. No matter how improbable it may seem, the Tenth Man has to start digging with the assumption that the other nine are wrong. And you were the tenth man. Precisely. The idea here is that it's our duty to ponder, question, and even play devil's advocate when it comes to challenging the official story. I'm not saying to blindly believe in everything you read in alternative media or conspiracy sites. I'm simply saying do your own research and keep an open mind because truth can be stranger than fiction. There is no reality in which keeping your head down blindly conforming and never questioning authority leads to an outcome other than slavery. We are responsible for our own imprisonment. Let's admit some hard truths here. Become true skeptics of the official story, not just each other, and take responsibility for our own freedom. Now, I've only got 10 minutes to talk because then we're going to be playing the show, which is a pre-recorded show that I did over 10 years ago, but it's more vital now. So I'm going to cover the things that, that I can as quickly as possible. In the economy category, guns.com got hacked. Any of you out there who've used their website? And I will have the links to this so you can go in depth and find out exactly what I'm talking about. Guns.com was hacked. All of their data was taken, up to and including your social security number, your credit card number, your bank account number, all of this stuff. Any of you who have worked through guns.com, you're at risk right now. Change all your passwords. You'll go there and read. Go to armchairsurvivalist.com. On the left-hand side, you're going to see show notes. Go to that page. Find the date of the show you want to find out about. And you will see this. What is it? It's the 28th. It's going to be the 28th of March show. Click on that, and it'll take you to the page that shows all the links that I'm talking about. And you'll see the link about guns.com getting hacked. Now, those of you with Windows 10, you should know this because you listen to me. And I've told you, Windows 10 is a backdoor to the NSA. Windows 10, every keystroke you make on it is sent to Microsoft. Every keystroke. I'll have that link as well. Now we're going to get into the health department. This so-called vaccination is not a vaccination. It is a genetic manipulation. It has failed in every human test throughout the world. But because it is being authorized under the emergency use authorization by the Food and Drug Administration and the World Health Organization, they can get away with all the thousands of deaths that have occurred. There has been, in the United States alone, over 2,000 known deaths attributed to this and thousands and thousands of other deaths. You know, you, you, you get the shot and a week later you go into cardiac arrest and they don't know why because you have no heart problems. But they're going to claim that it has nothing to do with the shot that you had. So there is a time lag between, usually between the time you get the shot and the time you're going to show adverse reactions. And that is usually a week to two weeks. So those of you who have been stupid enough to get this, this so-called vaccination, be aware your time is limited. Now you could be lucky and it might not do anything to you. My shows that I've talked about 
have different links to where it proves this is an emergency youth authorization only, not certified or authorized by the FDA, that you don't, there is no federal right for any government to mandate that you get the shot. There is no legal right for any organization or group or business to order you to get the shot. So that's up to you how you want to handle it. Me, we just tell them to go to hell. Now we're going to get into the liberal psychosis real quick. Uh, Netflix has already started programming for children to teach them about racial bias. It's that they're developing kids programming and the abominations are helping them do that. Uh, now the people behind Sesame Street are doing the same thing. They have race-based content aimed at children of all ages, including infants. It's going to teach everyone that whites are evil and that blacks, Mexicans, and Asians are only thing that uh, we should all want to be. So you should never want to be a white person, and you've got to be careful about being a white person because you're automatically racist. And they're going to call this the ABCs of racial literacy. Not only do they come for your children in public schools, they're coming for your children on PBS. Now we're going under the government threat category. Sadly, this week... A guy walks into a store in Colorado, opens fire with an AR-15 and kills 10 people. Instantly, the communist media start saying it's just another crazy white man with a, a, a assault weapon uh, murdering people. Just just another white person. Just That's all it was. And I mean, all over the news. Before even anybody had reported what was going on, ABC, NBC, CBS, MSNBC... PBS and every and BBC, every communist organization, news organization on earth was touting how it was a white man. Well, just so you know, he wasn't really a white man. It was not uh, in any way, shape, or form. It was a Syrian refugee, Ahmed Alisa. Uh, he uh, he lived for twenty years. His family came to America uh, twenty years ago, and he's twenty-one years old, and he's a little fat son of a bitch, and he had bought a AR-15 gone into the grocery store, and he had killed 10 white people. He walked past black people. He walked past the Mexicans. He walked past anybody who wasn't white. He shot and killed 10 white people, including a cop that was happened to be in there. Instantly, as soon as they everyone found out who this guy was, Facebook decided to scrub everything off the Internet. Now, you know this as well as I. Once something's on the Internet, it's on there forever, especially as soon as people find out. They go and they, they archive this stuff. So I have everything about this guy. So Facebook, Twitter, all of those places scrubbed it all. Except we all see it. We can all see it. I have links to it all. You just go to armchairsurvivalist.com, show notes, find this date, you'll see the links. This guy is a Muslim. And they're, and they're claiming, the government's claiming, we, we're still looking for a reason why he did this. Okay, he's a Muslim. It's idiot proof. And now the communists that rule us and it's, that's about 600 people in the United States. Can you can you believe that? Congressmen, senators, president, cabinet, governors, whatever. You're looking at about 600 people. Now that these communist rulers, they want to ban guns. Because he, uh, in, no matter what he used, no matter what firearm he used, the commies were instantly saying, we got to ban guns, we got to ban guns. I mean, it was it was magic how fast it was. Everything that they said, even before they knew it was a rifle. Got to ban guns. In fact, they're pushing it right now so hard it's insulting and embarrassing to, to even claim you're an American. Now, the FBI has statistics that they keep, and they've kept these statistics every year for as long uh, as I've been alive. And you know, there was more people killed by knives 
than there were, were assault weapons last year. It's, uh, let's see, handguns killed 6,368 Americans in 2019. Shotguns killed 200 people. 45 people were killed with weapons uh, designated as some other gun. And there were another 3,200 gun deaths in which the weapon used was not specified by the FBI. 364 people were killed by rifles. That that's, doesn't mean they were all killed by semi-automatic assault weapons. They were killed by raf- rifles, bolt-action rifles, lever-action rifles. So this is all bogus. Remember, to control a population, they have to disarm them. So that's what they're doing, along with dumbing us down. Do you know the Army? And I had a guy that retired from the Army in here. He, he was livid. He was almost screaming. He was so pissed off. So the Army is now woke. It's now gender-neutral. So they decided that they're going to have women in all all uh, ratings in the uh, army. So they to do that, they had to dumb down the fitness test because the females could not do the same uh, exercises that males can do. So they dumbed them down, made them stupid and weak as possible, and they still failed at them. So now, now what they're doing is they're separating the genders, male and female. And you're not supposed to. It's supposed to be gender neutral, you know. So they're separating them, and they're saying, well, now the females have to do female exercises, and the males have to do male exercises. But they're fair. We're keeping them fair. The Chinese and the Russians are laughing like crazy. They know that we don't have actual armies anymore. Yeah, you know, there's some some manly men in the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, Coast Guard, maybe one out of a, a hundred, and I'm being... I'm being uh, concerned. Maybe one out of a thousand. How's that? One out of a thousand. The rest of them are there for social justice. And this is what they're being taught. The military, all of them, are being taught that civilians are the enemy. Not not, not uh, foreigners. You know, like, not like in World War II, you're taught Germans were the enemy and Japanese were the enemy. Right? No. They're turning the military in the United States into people who hate the citizens of the United States. You want to know who the enemy is going to be? It's anybody who's a Trump supporter. Anyone who disagrees with the present administration. That doesn't, and it means any administration. Anyone who makes disparaging remarks regarding the character of political leaders, like saying Biden's a dimwit and Harris slept her white at the top, or people who have excessive expression of Christianity. These are the enemies of the military. I've told you before this, what I'm going to tell you right now. We have no friends in the military or law enforcement, maybe 1%. When they're ordered to take your guns, when they're ordered to kick your door in, when they're ordered to shoot you, they're going to. They might feel bad about it afterwards, but they're going to shoot you. There's not even a question about that. This has happened thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Whoever's in charge hires a group of of thugs. They do what they're told to do. They don't question it. Right now, it's so screwed up in the military, in all phases of the military, that the people, the soldiers there, are almost to the point of, of rioting because they're told one thing and they, they know in reality that's not true. Speaking of communists, uh, the uh, communist governor of California hired this guy for attorney general. This is the same guy that pushed a bill uh, in California that made it legal for communists, communists, card-carrying communists, to serve in government. It has been illegal for about 75 years for communists to serve in government. This guy got a bill passed in California, so you know they have Democrat, Republican, communist, open communist. That's California. Now you've heard before about the Utah Data Center. 
You've heard about how the NSA has a cybersecurity data gathering center in North uh, Utah, and they've been gathering data from us for years. Well, I now have under Wikipedia. Now, I don't know how long this is going to be up, but it's called the Utah Data Center, UDC, also known as the Intelligence Community Comprehensive National Cybersecurity Initiative Data Center. It's a data storage facility for the United States intelligence community. It stores so... It, it, you can't even use the word trillions. Trillion. You can't, you can't use that word. It's, it's, it's past comprehension how much data it stores. Every phone call you make, I mean every phone call you make, Every phone call that goes through a tower, every text you send, every twit you send or tweet is copied and there. Every email you receive, every email you send, every search you perform on the internet, they have a copy of that. That's why everyone should be using a VPN. And I'm, that's a virtual private network. I will have one available that you can uh, purchase. It's, it's, uh, you, you pay a monthly fee for it. But when you go, when you use it, then you go on the internet and you're invisible. Or you're in Czechoslovakia or Germany. Nobody knows where you are. Nobody can track you. But this is this is the proof what's happening. And I have this, and it's it's astounding that it was actually put up. But it is real. This is true, and this verifies everything that I said about it. Now, again, my job is to arm you with knowledge so that you can better prepare for what's happening and what's coming. So we had this shooting. It was done by a Muslim. He killed whites only. I'm going to play a show that I played over 10 years ago. This is going to give you some information on Muslims. Take a listen. I'm trying to take 1,400 years of insanity and put it down into an hour and a half. It's going to be a little difficult. We're talking about Islam. We're talking about this thing on the planet that has been lied to us about. It's claimed to be a religion. It is not a religion. It is a totalitarian belief structure. Islam tells you how to live, how to bathe, how to have sex. The concept, I normally would say who to vote for, but Islam forbids democracy. Do you understand that term? It forbids it. So whenever you hear any of your elected officials in America or England claim that the Muslims are uprising in Egypt or Sudan or Libya or anywhere for democracy, they're lying to you with full awareness that they're lying to you. Do you understand that? They're not accidentally lying to you. They are lying to you with full awareness that they're lying to you. If you can stomach it, maybe if you took like 50 cc's of Dramamine directly into your bloodstream, you could watch Hillary Clinton talk. I watched her this morning. It's a good thing I hadn't eaten yet. Where she was explaining how how we can't single out one or two philosophies or religions on the planet and say those are evil, they're they're causing lots of problems. We can't do that. Why even in Islam they fight amongst each other, she was saying. So you can't blame anyone. It, it, it is astounding that they would dare open their mouths and say these things, knowing well that they're talking to congressmen and senators who know that they're lying, yet they still say them. You know why? It's for the idiots amongst the citizens of America who vote. It's so the voting idiots would believe what these liars tell us, so that we, the idiots would continue to vote the liars back in. Approximately... 570 A.D., a child was born to a widow. Her husband had died recently in what is now Saudi Arabia. His full name, this, this is an interesting uh, how the Arabs used to name their children. Any of you who have seen the movie 
enemy mine. It's where uh, a human was was uh, crash landed on a on, on a uh, strange planet, and he had to coexist with one of the enemy that we were fighting inter- intergalactically. And they became good friends, and he ended up offering to be at the naming ceremony of the alien's child. When he names them, his alien's child, it's the full lineage that he names. And that's how you're named in Arabic. The word Ibn is born of. So this child's full name, Muhammad, Ibn Abdullah, Ibn Abdul uh, Motalib, Ibn Hashim, Ibn Abd Zanat, Ibn Abd Kuse, Ibn Kilab, Ibn Mura, Ibn Kab, Ibn Luar, Ibn Gileb, Ibn Fir. And to make a long story short, he died in 672 AD. But along the way, he sort of changed the world because he learned how to tap into the most basic, hidden cauldron of vile humanity that existed. Muhammad's father died before he was born. This is kind of a quick history on the whole thing. Everything I'm talking to you about is not an evaluation. Everything I'm talking to you is called history, which can be verified. The only term I can call it is what my grandpa told me. He went to look at a, buy a new car, and we went to a car lot, and the guy come out and talked to grandpa for about an hour. And grandpa shook his hand, and we got in the old truck and drove off. And I said, well, that was a car you were looking for. How come you didn't buy it? He said, son, there's a thing known as pissing down someone's back and claiming it's rain. And that's what he spent an hour doing to me. So that's what basically has been happening worldwide. Muslims have been peeing on our backs and claiming it's rain, and the idiots amongst us have been believing it. So Muhammad's father died before he was born. His mother died a few years later, but he was he was raised by his rich uncle. But here's the thing. Arabia, where it is now Saudi Arabia. The Saudi Arabia would not exist if it hadn't been for oil. It would still be a loose-knit groups of nomads. Arabia, the majority, is nothing more than rocks and dirt and sand. Not even dirt, sand. Rocks and sand. That's it. You can't grow anything, literally. You can barely graze anything. And in 570 A.D., most people didn't have two goats to rub together, much less uh, an area to uh, grow crops. So they were either merchants or murderers, or somewhere between the two. Somewhere like that would maybe a politician or something. But when he was born, when Muhammad was born, the society was matriarchal. In other words, women controlled it totally. His mother lived with her family and allowed the husband to come and visit now and then. It was extremely psychotic. It really was. It was based on all kinds of strange beliefs and thought processes. So in that area, you didn't really have anything that you could grasp and say, I believe in this, and then everyone would work towards it. It was such a, a sad lifestyle that they had hundreds of deities they believed in. Rocks and pebbles and goat urine and shavings of trees. And, and they, they had all kinds of things that they would, they would uh, believe in, quote unquote, or pray to. Well, when he, Muhammad was born, the well-off, and his mother was well-off. They don't waste their time raising their children. They instantly get rid of them. No, I mean instantly. They hire a wet nurse. And there are whole cities that have nothing but that's what they do for a living is, is these women are able to give to lactate. And so they would come to, to uh, larger cities and they would hire themselves out as a wet nurse. So as soon as Muhammad was born, he was dumped on a wet nurse who took him off into the desert somewhere to raise him. The years went by, a couple years went by, three, four years went by, and his mother ended up dying. So this woman realized she's not going to get paid. 
so took him back to uh, a town and and I'm I'm making this shorter okay than it really is in his teens and 20s he he worked for his uncle who was a merchant he ended up being hired by a woman who was one of his cousins and she liked the way that he handled the trades when he would go and do merchant work and he would uh, take a uh, a group of oh I don't know they were trading who knows what they were trading it would be goat cheese and they would travel 50 60 100 miles and if he said I will trade you this for this he always kept his word that was the plus point with this with Muhammad as a merchant he would keep his word once given he got a good name and the woman that hired him liked the idea so she asked him to marry her see again it's a matriarchal society and he said yes sir no problem long long as I got some you know something in it for me that's how they did it then and they had uh, six children four boys two girls two of the boys died but he started in his late 30s, and this is based on, now again, this is this part here is supposition based on data that I've been able to glean through the years in both history. you got to understand, again, we've heard this before, history is always written by the victors. So you don't want to read history written by the victors. History of Germany, Nazi Germany, is not written by Nazi Germany. It's written by Americans. So I prefer reading books and things written during the time by people there. In the, his late middle to late 30s, Muhammad started to have seizures. And they weren't where he'd fall on the ground and go into an epileptic fit. But it was theorized that they could be mini, mini strokes, something, something like that. But he would become blank and slobber at the mouth and vomit and sleep for days on end. Had the, he could tell when they were coming, so he'd leave. He'd go out into the desert, into this cave, and he'd have food and water there, and he'd stay there until it, it went away, because it, it was not becoming of a man in his position, a merchant in his position, to show this kind of weakness. So he would hide it. And, you know, I don't blame him. I can't fault him for that. But there was there's a lot of uh, data that shows that he was suffering a neurological problem of some kind. So he would go out into this cave, and he would uh, he would stay there until until whatever the feeling was went. And I they, they did not describe anywhere how he was able to determine that this was going to happen. Well, he would hallucinate, and he started to literally, things were getting a little strange even for him. Now, realize where he was. He was in Mecca. Uh, he was in where Jesus was supposed to have been buried and came back to life. Now, the Arabs aren't foolish. They know which side of the bread is buttered. So they were making money in that area, selling trinkets. And I, look, I got a piece of the cross right here. It's only $4.95, uh, two for $3 or something. You know, So they were selling things to the religious people who were coming. Now, these weren't, like, you can't really call them Christians, and you couldn't do that because it wasn't there yet. But they were believers of Christ, and they would come on a pilgrimage, and they'd come to the area, and they would put a lot of money into the local area. A lot of money. They, you know, they paid for housing, they paid for food, prostitutes, idols, all that stuff. The, the level of morals that the Arabs have, and I'm only presuming that it's gotten better over the centuries, but the level of morals they had were abhorrent. Uh, they would literally have sex with whatever, or, uh, whoever, whatever they wanted to, whenever they wanted to. They would steal from each other. They would slit each other's throats. They would have little battles. I mean, it wasn't as like they just walked down the street and said, oh, look, a stranger. I'll slit his throat. They had certain abilities to agree on certain concepts, which they changed at whim. Well, 
Muhammad started to see these hallucinations, these, these things. No one can say for truth that they were hallucinations. All I'm giving you is the data. You draw your own conclusions. Because both in Christianity and in Judaism and Shintoism and Buddhism and Hinduism, their prophets have seen things. Muhammad said he saw an angel, which basically beat the crap out of him and kept saying, repeat after me. And when Muhammad couldn't or wouldn't, the angel would wrestle him and toss him around and beat the crap out of him, according to Muhammad. So finally, Muhammad decided that he's going to do what the angel says, and the angel said to him, you will start telling people of, of the truth of the Lord, and these are the truths. He didn't even, he, he was scared of all of this crap himself. He couldn't coagulate it all together. So this is, we're talking through his, the 30s of his life. He gets into his 40s and thinks, maybe it's a midlife crisis, maybe, you know, whatever, I don't know, a lifespan in that time is probably about 40. So he's trying to figure out something that can keep his butt alive a little bit longer. He was telling his wife about this religious beliefs that he's developing from this angel that he says it's an angel that, that has been telling him these things. And it's, it's from the Lord. As it changed, over time, it went from an angel telling him to the Lord himself telling him. And he started to claim, his wife and, and father would say, you know, uh, father-in-law said, you know what, yeah, you might have something here. Why don't you go talk to the elders and see what they have to say? So he'd go talk to the elders and, and, and uh, the, the learned religious experts out there and, and say, um, you know, I got this thing here I've been seeing and, and uh, been telling me certain things, and I think it's it's valid. I think it might be uh, real. It might be a, 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 w a way that we could, um, you know, worship the Lord. And they laughed and said, you're out of your mind. You got nothing. You're just digging up crap. You're making stuff up as you go along. Now, here's the other thing. Muhammad was illiterate. In other words, he had a 12th grade education. He could barely read. He could barely write. He could do cipher. He could count. And that was a good thing to do if you're a merchant. He was, for all intents and purposes, illiterate. So he had to ask about stuff. He never read any religious doctrines. All he did was he'd learn what people would tell him, and he'd see certain things, and, and uh, you know, people were bowing and doing this and praying that and blah, 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 and making lots of money at it, for one thing. So being an illiterate Arab, which most of them were, that was the time, okay? Uh, you didn't have time to study in school. You didn't have time. You had an option. You could study in school or you could live, meaning get a job, somehow create income so you had food. Well, he kind of got upset at the elders telling him that he's full of crap. So he would start telling people, you know, I got this new idea, this this religion thing. I think this is a good thing. The Lord wants us to do this. Well, what's the name of the Lord? I mean, he was, I, there's no name yet. It's just the Lord. And the only people that would listen to him were people that had the same moral code as he did, which was pretty much nothing. I can't say he was like. I can say they were like. The Arabs of the time, and again, I can't say, I can't talk about how they've changed now because I haven't seen that, but the Arabs of the time, the morals, integrity, and ethics were so loose, it was what you would call circumstantial. <laughs> Just pop up when it was needed, and it would change depending on it. And he would say to uh, some of his followers, I mean, he'd have like two or three guys. He'd go in some place and start talking, and they, a couple guys, I mean, if you can imagine a one-eyed guy 
with his left hand had been cut off because he was caught stealing, who was a thief. Listening to Muhammad talk about how it's okay to steal from your enemies, or it's okay to take what's others if they don't have the same beliefs that you do. So what he was doing was catering to the lowest common denominator of humankind. He catered to the ignorant, the criminal, the pathological liars, the murderers, the rapists, the thieves, because the philosophy was nobody really owns anything except by might. Might makes right. That was his beliefs. He got himself together about 30, 40 people who actually believed that over the next year or so. And he listened to that crap. The merchants didn't like the idea of him promoting his new belief because it was starting to scare off the followers of Christ. It was starting to scare him off. He refused to respect anyone's religious beliefs because he felt that his beliefs, though they haven't coagulated yet into a real religion, were the only ones that were valid. And he would go around telling people this. He'd go to the, the uh, stalls where the, where the religious merchants were selling religious icons. And he would tell the people there. And he would say, don't believe any of this crap. They're stealing your money. They're taking your money. They, they want you to believe in false gods. Well, what god do you believe in? Uh, just, uh, just, it's just some guy, just the Lord. You know, just, just the Lord. Well, what, what Lord? The Lord of rocks? The Lord of goats? The Lord of the moon? The Lord of the sky? What Lord? And he didn't have an answer. Uh, he just kind of go off disgruntled. And the merchants went to his uncle. Now, he was under his uncle's uh, protection. His uncle was a rich, very rich merchant. And his uncle knew about his um, neurological problem. And he knew that Muhammad was married to his cousin, and their family were very rich and very influential. Uh, he didn't want to piss off them. He'd rather piss off the merchants in town, so he told him to take a hike. Just leave him alone. Ignore him. He'll go away. Well, he didn't go away. So the merchants got together, and they said, look, how about we um, make you the head of our, our chapter of merchants, make you, you, we'll make you the head of it, and we'll give you money and gold and stuff, and then just shut your damn mouth and let us make money. So he said, good idea, okay, I'll do it. So they gave him money, they make, gave him a position, and right away, he backstabbed them, and almost literally, and lied, and went on with his talking about his weird religion, which wasn't really a religion yet. So the merchants got together, and they said, you know, we're going to have to bypass his uncle, we're just going to have to, we're going to have to slit this idiot's throat. One of his followers found out about that, and uh, Muhammad found out, in the middle of the night, he took off. Him and his guys headed out to another city. He went to Medina. And again, this is all in the area now that's Saudi Arabia. So he started up there with these guys. These basically all of his followers were, they were nothing more than a gang of criminals. They started to hit and rob uh, certain caravans, just, you know, just way off in the trade routes. They'd hit them and rob them, take all this, take everything. So they were getting money. They were getting an income by thievery, and which was okay in this philosophy that he was putting together because these are not believers. These people didn't believe in the Lord. And if you don't believe in the Lord or his Lord, then you are lower than dirt and exist for no reason. And if you don't follow Muhammad you'll be put to the blade. So catering to the lowest common denominator of humankind, he started to get more and more people following him. Because, hell yeah! What, what, what do I got to do? Go out and slice some throats, and all of a sudden I got two camels and a 15-year-old and girl for sex and, and a whole bunch of jewelry? I mean, yeah, I'll do it. After a while, got too many people following him. They, uh, they wanted to know who the hell this lord was. Well, at the time, there was a moon goddess, uh, Alat, or Al-Alilat. She was the... Uh, 
Alatu of the Babylonians, which is the, the uh, goddess of the moon. So he's searching out some name for this lord, and he chose that, but he modified it to be male. See, here's the thing again. All of Arabia was matriarchal, meaning it was ran by women. He didn't like that. Of course, I don't know many men that would. So he decided to change it all. And his philosophy that he was creating was patriarchal, meaning ran by men and controlled by men. So he had to change the name from Aliyat, or however it was pronounced, half a dozen different ways, to Allah. Shortened it. Allah. Allah is the God. Allah is the God. And Muhammad is his only prophet, meaning Muhammad was the guy that had the ear of Allah. He was the only one Allah talked to. Period. You can't talk to Allah. You can't pray to Allah and and, uh, have an answer back. You would pray to Muhammad, uh, or you would pray to Allah via Muhammad. That was uh, how he had it set up. A good gig if you can get it, I guess. Pretty much a given that... Anyone who was a Mohammedan, which is what they were called, was uh, converted. It's very simple. They would put a sword to your throat and say, you will either become a Mohammedan and follow Muhammad's religion, or you will die. Now, this went on and went on and went on. And again, I'm cutting this down. I could do a history. I could make my whole life and do a two-hour show every Sunday on Islam and Muhammad. That's how much history is there. And most of it is bogus, make-believe. Muhammad said, I have been ordered by God to fight with people till they bear testimony to the fact that there is no God but Allah and that Muhammad is his messenger. The city he went to, Medina, was pretty much run by Jews. They lived there. I mean, that was the Jewish Jewish uh, uh, city. And basically, he came up with this idea that, you know what, uh, you will either follow my religion or you pay me a poll tax. I don't care about you being a Jew or a follower of Christ. You're either going to be a Muslim, dead, or pay me tax yearly. So a lot of them did. A lot of them said, well, fine, okay, let's, he's another cutthroat. Let's just pay him his money and leave him alone and hope he leaves us alone. But it got to be a big, big, big thing where uh, he just kept going and going and going and going. They would attack caravans upon caravans, and it was getting worse and worse and worse. I mean, when you've got two or three hundred guys, it takes a lot of women to keep them happy and a lot of wine and food and bounty. So he was pretty much making stuff up as he went along. And he was telling these guys, you know what? They'd say, that caravan is 250 people. We're only 27 guys. You want us to go rob that thing? They're going to kill us. Oh, but Allah says, if you believe in me, then you cannot be harmed. And if you are, then you will be going to heaven and you will have uh, 60, uh, no, 70, uh, no, 72 virgins will wait on you hand and foot for eternity. Okay, 72. But if you live, you will be given booty. You will be given what you capture, a, por- a portion of it. It's a win-win situation, guys. And being the lowest common denominator, they say, okay. So you got these guys that would go out and they'd rob and kill. And they would have no fear because they truly believed. If they died, 72 virgins are waiting for them. If they did didn't die, they're going to be rich. It's a win-win situation. So they're robbing more and more and more, and then they are starting to attack small cities. And they would simply go in and they would simply say, you will either convert or you'll die. And a lot of these small little towns, I mean, when I say small, I'm talking a couple hundred people. They say, yeah, 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 no problem, no problem. So they'd, uh, they'd become Muslim. Well, what does that mean to be a Muslim? Do, you know, do what you normally do, just, just uh, give me uh, money once a year, and just, uh, we'll let you know. He would have his thoughts written down. Now, here's something that people don't understand. The Quran is nothing new. The Quran is a group of religious beliefs that have been around for thousands of years, and they are added to or take or subtracted from. Now, I know this is going to upset a lot of people, but uh, the Bible is the same way. The writings in the Bible have been around for thousands of years. Prior 
prior to Christ, but they were modified to fit into the, the new concept of Christianity. There's some of them that came from ancient writings. There's, there's uh, the majority of them were newer ones, but there were things incorporated into the Bible. Two thirds of the Bible was eradicated at the uh, Council of Churches, 321 A.D. So what we have now in in the Christian Bible is a quarter of the original groupings of of religious writings that were available, and the Quran is the same way. Now in Islam, you're taught the Quran is direct word of the Prophet. Well, the problem is he was illiterate, so he couldn't write things down. He'd have people write things down. He'd come up with an idea like, I'm getting tired of having sex with this old bitty I got. I want to have sex with something fresh. So he'd come up with an idea that you could have, you could actually have sex with a female starting at age nine. Bingo. So they'd write that down. And he'd sort of hang on to them, these little notes. And there was an article written by a scribe where he, Muhammad's wife, who was, I think at the time, 14, and who he had married at the age of nine, he made this rule because he wanted her. She was complaining because a goat had gotten in and Muhammad was keeping a lot of his writings in a box beside the bed and the goat was eating them. So that kind of upset her. The idea of Islam being a religion of peace, if you mentioned that word, if you said that to a Muslim a hundred years ago, they'd look at, the, at you like you're out of your freaking mind. There is peace. Islam is a religion of peace. And an area becomes peaceful when Islam moves in because they kill everyone who isn't a Muslim. So there's nothing left to fight. So they become peaceful. But they never have been, ever. In the beginning, Islam preyed on the lowest common denominator, literally. The code of Islam is convert or die. That's in the Quran, basically, I think it's 82 times. We started with his birth at 570 AD. And remember, he died at 672. While he was alive, he was nothing more, and his followers were nothing more than a group of murderers and thugs. These are stories. I, I've read Muslim writings when I was a little kid. I don't know, 20 years old, maybe a little younger, maybe a little older. My, my mother was very prolific in, in uh, reading religious works that come out of uh, Arabia and the area. And I recall where Muhammad would, would invade a city of 2,700 people. He would send an emissary to the city first. And this city was basically uh, Christians, believers in, in Christ. And he would, the emissary would say, okay, we're heading this way and you guys are either going to uh, submit, which is the definition of, of Islam, is, is submission. Uh, you're going to uh, submit to Islam, to us, and convert, and we expect a good percentage of you to convert, and the rest of you will, will pay us tax yearly to exist on our property, because you own nothing, we're taking it all. The head of the city would tell them to go take a flying leap off a short pier. So, okay, we'll be back tomorrow. And they come back, and they'd basically burn it to the ground. They would murder every man, woman, and child in there. Unless, of course, it was a really foxy-looking babe, and then they'd take her. They would take everything they can. Anybody who would convert, and literally at the point of the blade, say, I would become a Muslim. I will convert. I will convert. They would not kill them. They would take them aside as, as uh, they would take them as captives, and then they would go before Muhammad to be judged. So he found this woman who was beautiful in one of the cities that they, they sacked, and she was six months pregnant. So he thought to himself, if she's beautiful, her child will be as beautiful as well. So he said, spare her life and leave her here in my, my house. So she did. She was treated well, ate well, and then the day came when she gave birth to 
a beautiful little girl. A couple days later, she brought the child to Muhammad and uh, said, here is my child. He said, let me have her. And he, she put him, the child, her, the little girl, in Muhammad's arms. And Muhammad drew his sword and cut her head off, the woman. He didn't want to kill her while she was pregnant. But now that she's given birth, she's no longer necessary. So he just killed her right there, drug her body on. That was it. There were scrolls found of day-to-day -day rulings on his throne or whatever you want to call it. This is the day-to-day -day things. And these things were astounding. There were some things he would talk about. Somebody would come in with a problem and he'd handle it in a, in a good manner. And But the majority of the stuff that he did was psychotic, basically insane. But he captured, killed, converted hundreds and thousands of people into Islam over his life. So he set up this thing to where when he dies, somebody can take control of Islam, and that would be a caliph. So they set it up that different caliphs would take over. And I don't know the hierarchy there. There are two sects in Islam. One says anybody can be a caliph, and the other says, no, you've got to be a direct descendant of, of Muhammad. They argue each other. They, I mean, the, the Shias and the Wahhabis, uh, they murder each other. been happening, oh, I don't know, 1,400 years? I want to go back again, and I'm going to hit this. Anybody who tells you that Islam is peaceful or the friend of America or sane or any Muslim wants, quote, unquote, democracy or freedom or any of the buzzwords, know them for what they are. These are liars, and they are evil. I don't care if it's your pastor that says this. Any Christian who says that, yeah, Muslims and Christians can live side by side, is either your openly active enemy lying to you or stupid as a bag of rocks. Either way... Get the hell away from them. Anyone who tells you that you can live with Islam or that you can live with a true Muslim, they're your enemy. They're lying to you. Know them for this. Let me tell you about Islam. The Crusades were basically a reaction. I mean, this is real. The Crusades, and we've all heard about the Crusades, were the reaction of uh, Muslim attacks against the entire world, as, we, as they knew it then. The Muslims were attacking everything. In the 7th century, they took control of Jerusalem. In 920 A.D., and this is in Spain, uh, the Moors were Muslim. They killed every man, woman, and child in the city of Muez. Cordova, you've heard of Cordova. Zerrajos and uh, Merida were burned to the ground with all adult men males executed and all women and children enslaved. In 1009 AD, Caliph Hakim of Egypt ordered the destruction of the Holy Sepulchre. That's where Christ was buried and came back. And all Christian places of worship. See, we have this feigned upset when the Taliban destroyed a Buddhist carving 10 years ago, whenever it was. In uh, Afghanistan, was it? But that's what the Muslims do, because there is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. In 1066, all the Jews of Granada were slaughtered. In 1126, all the Christians of Granada were deported to Morocco. The Muslims wanted complete control of Granada. In the 11th century, they really started to piss off the Christians. Christians were still doing pilgrimage to uh, Jerusalem. That was okay with the Muslims because it made they made a lot of money. 1453, Turkey invaded Constantinople. Constantinople was the center of Christianity at the time. They burned all the libraries to the ground, all the works of art, and slaughtered the entire population. The Crusades ran between 1095 through 1291. If they hadn't have existed, if Christians hadn't fought the insanity of Islam, uh, there would be nothing else on, on this planet right now but an insane planet made up of Muslims only. They were finally turned back in 1683 from Vienna. For centuries in Constantinople, the Turks demanded an annual blood levy of Christian boys. The population had to give up one out of every five of their children for service in the Sultan's army. Let me give you a list of what Muslims have done in the name of Allah. 
1843 to 1846, 10,000 Assyrian Christians, including women and children, were massacred by the Muslims. In 1860, over 12,000 Christians were slaughtered in Lebanon. In 1876, 14,700 Bulgarians were murdered by the Turks. In 1877, 200,000 Armenian Christians were slaughtered in Bayezid. 1894 to 1896, Abdul Hamid, Sultan of the Ottoman Empire, killed 150,000 Armenian Christians. From 1915 to 1918, 750,000 Assyrians were killed in the name of Islam. In 1915, the Turks massacred 1.5 million Armenian Christians. 1922, the Turkish army destroyed the city of Smyrna and the 300,000 Christians that lived there. 1933, thousands of Assyrian villagers were murdered by the Iraqi soldiers in northern Iraq. Three million Bangladesh Hindus were killed during the Pakistan-Bangladesh War in 1971. These were not fighters. These were civilians. Pakistan murdered them. Over 280,000 Ugandans killed during the reign of Idi Amin from 1971 to 1979. In 1974, 4,000 Christians, 4,000 Christians living in Cyprus were killed by the president of Turkey and his Islamic army. In 1980, 20,000 Syrians were murdered under the rule of Hafez al-Assad, president of Syria. Since 1990, more than 10,000 Kashmiri Hindus have been brutally murdered by Islamic fundamentalists. Now, I want to hit something right here. The term Islamic fundamentalist doesn't exist. It is a apologist word to throw in fundamentalist. Islamic fundamentalist. You're either Islamic or you're not. You're either a Muslim or you're not. Read the Quran. I read the Quran when I was in my teens. I thought it was a joke. I'm not saying I thought it was stupid and, I, and, I, and I'm insulting it. I mean, literally, I thought it was a joke. I checked it out at the library, and I read half of it, and I'm going, this is BS. Nobody in their right mind would believe any of this crap or follow any of it. So this has got to be a joke. Somebody must have swapped the books, because I'd already read the Bible, and it kind of made sense to me. So I figured any religious work would make sense to a degree. Nope. There's no such thing as a Islamic fundamental. Fundamentalist. Period. They're Islamic or they're not. The Muslim or they're not. Now you'll find Muslims, and I'll talk about this in a little bit. You'll find Muslims in the United States and in certain areas that won't strap a bomb on them. But I want you to understand something. Not all Muslims are terrorists. By that I mean not all Muslims are willing to strap a bomb on their chest and go blow up a bunch of people or grab a gun, a pistol, and go into a uh, recruiting center and start killing people. Not all Muslims will do that. But all that have are Muslim. All that have committed terrorist acts throughout the world are Muslim. Because to them it's a win-win situation. 72 virgins are waiting for them. The Quran, it's the primary source of every Muslim's faith and practice, right? It deals with everything. And this is why Islam is not a religion. It deals with everything which concerns humans. Wisdom, doctrine, worship, transactions, law. It is detailed techniques for dealing with everything. And of course, the Quran was revealed to Muhammad. Now, this is a lie, but no, I'm getting this from the Muslims' websites. It says the Quran was revealed to Muhammad in Arabic only. No, it was never revealed to Muhammad because he's, he was illiterate and couldn't read. So they go on to say that any translation of the Quran is illegal. It is not the Quran, period. If it's not in Arabic, it doesn't exist. It's not real. The next source of knowledge for Muslims is the Sunnah. And that's what Muhammad said, and it's comprised of hadiths. 
and these are, and I quote, reliably transmitted reports by the Prophet Muhammad's companions of what he said, did, or approved of. And the pro- and I've read the hadiths. What the hadiths are, are this is what Muhammad said, so you've got to follow it. This is what Muhammad said. But here's how it works. This is what Fred, who knew John, who once slept with Uncle Albert's cousin, who knew Muhammad, told him he said. Or, this is what a dog overheard Muhammad's donkey say. I mean, we would go on and on and on on in reading these. I'm like, this is not even second party information or even third party information. Half a paragraph is who who said what to who, when and how, and, and over and over and over and over again. That Muhammad actually said this, they said. Now, here's another thing. So, all right, I gave you the history to a degree. I gave you information to a degree. We're coming into the United States now, and I heard this. I heard one of our politicians, obviously it was a Democrat. Have you figured out yet, ladies and gentlemen, that birds of a feather flock together? That's a nice way of putting it. I heard one of our Democrats claiming that Islam is evil and bad and against America is ridiculous because why? There were actually founding fathers who were Muslims living in the U.S. during colonial times. Understand this. Islam forbids, not a question, Islam forbids uh, freedoms, forbids anything that has to do with our constitution. Islam cannot exist with anything in any way, shape, or form that has to do with the philosophy, religions, and beliefs of Americans because it's strictly forbidden. Don't believe me. Don't listen to what I'm saying about this. Read the Quran yourself. You will see the truth there. Read and study. That doesn't take much, ladies and gentlemen. The history of, of the Muslims throughout the world. I'm going to play you the truth about slavery. Any of you blacks out there listening to the show, this will be the truth about slavery, black slavery, African slavery, by a, um, an Arab history professor. The success of Muhammadan Islam in deceiving, misinforming, deforming, and contorting both history and reality over a period of almost 1400 years has been astounding. That is, until now. The greatest tragedy about this particular subject is that most of the descendants of African slavery, the black people in the Americas, around the world, as well as among the African black, are totally ignorant of the actual fact. I would like to make the following statement and then prove it. That the worst, most inhumane, and most diabolical institution of the black African slave trade was initiated, refined, perpetrated, and implemented by the Muhammadan Arabs and later aided and abetted by the black converts to Muhammadan Islam. I predict that as usual, the two subcultures, those of denial of facts and of political correctness, will attack us without once disproving a single statement and or conclusion that we make. Slavery was not created by the white races, because it has existed throughout a human history and practiced by every tribe, culture, civilization racial group and religion. In fact, the very word slavery has its root in the name Slav, based upon the Slavic peoples of Europe who were subjugated by other Europeans. It is not common knowledge that the Arabic word Abd is synonymous with the meaning of slave. For example, Abdullah means literally the slave of Allah, and that in the language of the Arab, all black peoples are called Abid, plural, for slave. While much has been written concerning the transatlantic slave trade, surprisingly little attention has been paid to the Islamic slave trade across the Sahara the Red Sea and the Indian Ocean. While the European involvement in the African transatlantic slave trade to the Americas lasted for just over three centuries, the Arab involvement in the African slave trade has lasted 14 centuries and in some parts of the Muhammadan world is still continuing to this day. The birth of Muhammadan Islam and its conquest brought about the birth of institutionalized, systematized and religiously sanctioned slave trade on a massive and global scale. In fact, the Quran allows the taking of slaves as booty or reward for wars of 
of aggression against any and all unbelievers, most of the human population. This has led to an enormous number of so-called holy wars, jihad in Arab. There was and is absolutely nothing holy about these wars which are primarily to plunder, slaughter, rape, subjugate and rob other human beings of their wealth, produce, freedom and dignity. Muhammadan Muslim states and tribes attack other non-Muslim groups to achieve these objectives. Although Islamic jurisprudence laid down regulations for the treatment of slaves, however, incredible and heinous abuses have occurred throughout the history of Muhammadan Islam. By the Middle Ages, the Arab Arabic word Abid was in general used to denote a black slave, while the word Mamluk referred to a white slave. Ibn Khaldun, 1332-1406, the preeminent Islamic medieval historian and social thinker wrote, the Negro nations are as a rule submissive to slavery because they have attributes that are quite similar to dumb animals. It should also be noted that black slaves were castrated based on the assumption that the blacks had an ungovernable sexual appetite. When the Fatimid Caliphate came to power in Egypt, they slaughtered all the tens of thousands of black military slaves and raised an entirely new slave army. Some of these slaves were conscripted into the army at age 10. From Persia to Egypt to Morocco, slave armies from 30,000 to up to 250,000 became commonplace. The Islamic slave trade took place across the Sahara Desert from the coast of the Red Sea and from East Africa across the Indian Ocean. The Trans-Sahara trade was conducted along six major slave routes just in the 19th century, for which we have more accurate records. 1.2 million slaves were brought across the Sahara into the Middle East, as well as a further 450,000 down the Red Sea and 442,000 from the East African coastal port. That is a total of 2 million black slaves just in the 1800s. At least 8 million more were calculated to have died before reaching the Muslim slave market. A comparison of the Islamic slave trade to the American slave trade reveals some extremely interesting contrast. While two out of every three slaves shipped across the Atlantic were men, the proportions were reversed in the Islamic slave trade. Two women for every man were enslaved by the Muslim. While the mortality rate of slaves being transported across the Atlantic was as high as 10%, the percentage of slaves dying in transit in the Trans-Sahara and East African slave market was a staggering 80 to 90%. While almost all the slaves shipped across the Atlantic were for agricultural work, most of the slaves destined for the Muslim Middle East were for sexual exploitation as concubines in harems and for military service. While many children were born to the slaves in the Americas, the millions of their descendants are citizens in Brazil and the United States of today. Very few descendants of the slaves that ended up in the Middle East survived. While most slaves who went to the Americas could marry and have families, most of the male slaves destined for the Middle East were castrated and most of the children born to the women were killed at birth. It is estimated that possibly as many as 11 million Africans were transported across the Atlantic, 95% of which went to South and Central America, mainly to Portuguese, Spanish and French possessions. Only 5% of the slaves ended up in what we call the United States today. However, a minimum of 28 million Africans were enslaved in the Muslim Middle East. Since at least 80% of those captured by Muslim slave traders were calculated to have died before reaching the slave markets, it is believed that the death toll from 1400 years of Arab and Muslim slave raids into Africa could have been as high as 112 millions. When added to the number of those sold in the slave market, the total number of African victims of the Trans-Saharan and East African slave trade could be significantly higher than 140 million people. What is obscene about this whole subject is the Muhammadan Muslim and Arab culture of denial regarding their complicity in the African slave trade as well as the ignorance of black Muslims about the reality of their past and present condition. The statistics and reports above are based upon the logbooks kept at the African slave ship logs, travelers reports, eyewitness accounts, etc. 
This is something that Winston Churchill said in 1899. How dreadful are the curses which Mohammedism lays on its votaries. Besides a fanatical frenzy which is as dangerous in a man as hydrophobia in a dog, there is this fearful fatalistic apathy. The effects are apparent in many countries. Improvident habits, sovereignly systems of agriculture, sluggish methods of commerce, and insecurity of property exist wherever the followers of the prophet rule or live. 1899, over 110 11 years ago. A degraded sensualism deprives this life of its grace and refinement, the next of its dignity and sanctity. The fact that in Mohammedan law every woman must belong to some man as his absolute property, either as a child, a wife, or concubine, must delay the final extinction of slavery until the faith of Islam has ceased to be a great power among men. Individual Muslims may show splendid qualities, but the influence of the religion paralyzes the social development of those who follow it. No stronger retrograde force exists in the world. Far from being more bound, Mohammedism is a militant and prophesizing faith. Now, it, this was called Mohammedism, not Islam, until the past couple hundred years. It has already spread throughout Central Africa, raising fearless warriors at every step. And were it not that Christianity is sheltered in the strong arms of science, the science against which it had vainly struggled, the civilization of modern Europe might fall as fell the civilization of ancient Rome. And that is what he has said. And this is the beliefs. And I took this directly from the Muslim main Muslim website. God loves those who fight. And by the way, these quotes come directly out of the Quran. Fight and slay the pagans wherever you find them and seize them, beleaguer them, and lie in wait for them in every stratagem. Chop off their hands and chop off their fingertips. When you meet the unbelievers, chop off their heads. Fight and slay those who don't convert wherever you find them. Believers Take neither Jew nor Christian for your friend. Those who follow Muhammad are ruthless to unbelievers. Those who reject Islam are the vilest of creatures and, and thus deserve no mercy. Fight them until Islam reigns supreme throughout the world. There's over a hundred more verses like these. And there are exactly 123 verses in the Quran that talk about killing those who aren't Muslim or believers of the Prophet. You will hear the lies that say, and I heard, I heard a Muslim teacher from the University of, University of Michigan, I watched her say the word Islam means peace. No, it doesn't. It means submission. To become Islamic, you must submit fully to all beliefs within the Quran. There was a vet in Colonel West. His team had captured uh, what he thought was a terrorist. Uh, nobody could make him talk. So he simply put his pistol up to the side of the guy's head. Well, actually, you know, about a couple feet away and fired around and said, now you're going to talk or the next bullet goes in your head. The guy talked. Well, he got in a, a crap storm, so to speak, and all of the Muslim apologists were saying how evil that was and how he shouldn't have done that, and, and Muslims are just uh, just peace-loving, and he shouldn't have pulled the... I mean, on and on and on and on and on. I want you to listen to what he says about Islam. First thing you got to do is you got to study and understand who you're up against. And you must realize that this is not a religion that you're fighting against. You're fighting against a theopolitical belief system and construct. You're fighting against something that's been doing uh, this thing since 622 A.D., 7th century, 1388 years. You want to dig up Charles Martel and ask him why he was fighting the Muslim army at the Battle of Tours in 732? You want to ask the uh, Venetian fleet at Lepanto why they were fighting a Muslim fleet in 1571? You want to ask the, the Germanic and Austrian knights why they were fighting at the gates of Vienna in 1683? You want to ask people what happened at Constantinople and why today is called Istanbul because they lost that fight in 1453? You need to get into 
to the Quran, you need to understand their precepts, you need to read the, uh, the surah, you need to read the hadith, and then you can really understand this is not a perversion. They are doing exactly what this book says. And I, and I think we have, we have said this all through this morning so far. Until you give principal leadership in the United States of America that is willing to say that, we will continue to chase our tail because we will never clearly define who this enemy is and then understand their goals and objectives, which is on any jihadist website, and then come up with the right and proper goals and objectives to not only secure our republic, but to secure Western civilization. I watched this interview live, and this is one of the morons on the liberal press, was interviewing a group of Muslims and some Christians who were saying, these people are lying to the world when they claim that we have nothing to fear from them. You have said that you think there should be Islamic domination. Why shouldn't people be afraid of that? Well, well, let me just say that Islam has a solution for all of the problems that mankind faces. If you want to live at peace with Muslims, we are quite willing to live at peace with you. But let us remember that history did not begin on 9-11. Before 9-11, the Americans, uh, the American government bombed Sudan and Afghanistan. They were supporting the pirate state of Israel. So 9-11 was a reaction. You know, I think that we need to get away from the stereotyping. And this idea that you have moderate Muslims and you have radical Muslims is complete nonsense. A Muslim is the one who submits to the command of the Creator. If he submits, he is a practicing Muslim. If he is not, then he should be practicing. I have to disagree with him because Islam is a religion of pluralism that embraces all religions and it also embraces different interpretations. This is why we have so many schools of thought. What Anjum is talking about is an exclusivist uh, view of Islam, which is my way or the highway. And my interpretation uh, well, is the only you know, interpretation. You know, it's very easy for people to justify the fact that they're not practicing. I mean, this lady in your studio, she should be covering with the khimar and jilbab. She's obviously not practicing. And there are many people who are justifying. There are many people who are justifying the, the inability to practice the Sharia to say, well, I have a different form of religion. You know, people want to claim that they're vegetarians and they're eating big big beef burgers. You know, you cannot be a non-practicing vegetarian. Therefore, similarly, you know, if you are Muslim, you submit to the Sharia. She's telling the truth. You see, Reverend Graham says you're telling the truth. So, do you agree with Reverend Graham and our panelists on this side that Americans should fear Islam? We do believe as Muslims the East and the West will one day be governed by the Sharia. Indeed, we believe that one day the flag of Islam will fly over the White House. Indeed, there's even a narration of the Prophet where he said the day of judgment will not come until a group of my ummah conquer the White House. Okay, can I just make... You get the idea, ladies and gentlemen? If you hear anyone tell you that these people are our friends or can live and coexist under the structure of the U.S. United States Constitution or any concept of democracy or freedom, if you have anyone tell you this, they are either purposely lying to you and your enemy or they are based in ignorance and stupidity. They're both just as dangerous to you and us. Jihad is here. We must wage jihad against the enemies of Allah. The enemies of Allah are in our midst. They claim to be Muslims although they are as far as can be from Islam. They call themselves reformists or preachers and say that we support the West. They are hostile to us on these grounds. My brothers, the danger is even greater. Even those people who have become tools in the hands of the enemies. Unless we face reality with truth, courage, and evidence, and if we do not stop all the transgressors who try to distort Islam with their claims of reform and their corrupt progress, this will be dangerous. These people have been tempted by the West and have been employed in its service. We are familiar with their relations with foreign elements. We are fighting them and will continue to fight them and we will cut off their tongues. 
Let's see, where, where did that come from? That, that's that got to be some like 1600 or something, or, or, or maybe Muhammad said that. No. Oh, wait a minute. That was in 2006, the Saudi interior minister. You remember Saudi Arabia? In 9-11, all of the so-called terrorists that performed that act were from Saudi Arabia. Why haven't we invaded Saudi Arabia? Saudi Arabia is the source of the evil of Islam on the planet. Saudi Arabia is the source. It's not some of the sources over here, some of the sources over there. Saudi Arabia is the source of the insanity of Islam. But I have, I have some hope. Uh, go ahead and bring up clip four, how to behave during an Islamic massacre. Today, Clavin on the Culture offers a brief course of sensitivity training in how to behave during an Islamic massacre. People tend to act according to their beliefs, and in our global multicultural society, we have to learn to get along with those who have different beliefs and therefore act differently than we do. For instance, in the past, when juvenile attention seekers desecrated Christian religious objects by displaying a crucifix and a glass of urine, say, or smearing dung on an image of the Virgin Mary, or filming a crucifix with ants crawling over it, Christians in America protested by demanding these images cease to receive public funding. Similarly, when juvenile attention seeker Terry Jones recently burned a copy of the Koran, Muslims in Afghanistan protested by slaughtering and beheading more than 20 innocent people. This subtle difference between Christian and Islamic modes of communication can cause misunderstandings and make it difficult for Christians to respond in a sensitive and unprejudiced way. So, here are some tips. First, abandon all your principles. Defending ideals like individual liberty and freedom of expression can be offensive to others and dangerous to yourself. Instantly discarding not only your own beliefs, but those that uphold Western culture specifically and human dignity in general can save time by eliminating unnecessary intermediate steps like pretending all religions are equally sound or pasting a coexist bumper sticker on your sad, wimpy little car. Let's watch as Senator Lindsey Graham demonstrates how to throw your principles overboard. Free speech is a <clears throat> great idea, but we're in a war. Here's another tip. Holding homicidal Muslims responsible for their savage brutality will only annoy them and could cause you to be accused of Islamophobia, the irrational fear of being decapitated. Instead of blaming Muslims for their actions, try to treat them as subhumans with no moral agency. If they had no choice but to go on a kill spree, the only real fault lies with the man who provoked. Here's Joe Klein of Time Magazine showing the way by writing a about Koran burner Terry Jones. Jones's act was murderous as any suicide bombers. Note how Klein assumes the Muslims' bloodthirsty response to Jones was inevitable, as if Muslims were uncontrollable beasts with no wills of their own. This assumption allows Klein to morally equate Jones's crude and unkind act with Muslim mass murder and display his own sensitivity and open-mindedness to mass murder. We all must learn that confronting evil can lead to violence. With just a little intellectual dishonesty and some unprincipled sniveling, we can put an end to Islamic slaughters peacefully by eliminating their cause, our freedom. This is Andrew Clavin on The Culture. Thank you, Andrew. We all needed that information. The coming Islamic empire will be a world power in every sense of the world, every sense of the word. Like its Muslim predecessor, the Islamic empire of the early 21st century will also have an appetite for territorial expansion and military conquest. I'm reading from a, an author, by the way. Military uh, conquest, uh, territorial expansion, you see this now in France and Germany and Italy and England. A modern worldwide jihad. Jihad is a command to fight against something. A worldwide jihad against non-Muslim 
Muslim populations and societies complete with nuclear weapons promises to bring the highest casualty rates in the history of mankind. World War III, if it does come, will occur between the Islamic bloc and the Western nations. It will be the deadliest war ever fought by humanity. This is what we have to look forward to. This is not a guess. It will come to a point where men and women of a country will stand up and say, No! I will not go any further. I will not allow any more of my country to be eaten and burned by the insanity of Islam. It's happening now in France. It's happening in England. Okay, I didn't even get into the, to the part about inbred. Remember I said that Muhammad married his cousin. This is a standard operating procedure in Islam all through the world. In Pakistan, you have 60% of the population is inbred. But they talk about the inbred aspect of, of uh, Islam. That's how you make Muslims. You breed with your first cousin. All of a sudden, you have Muslims. You didn't have to, to go out and threaten to kill them. You didn't have to buy them. You didn't have to do anything at all except breed them. When there wasn't that many women out there, they, they wanted to have families, so they would take somebody, yeah, well, my sister, no, my mother, no, but my father's sister, yeah, I'll go ahead and do that. And that's what's happening now all over the world. You look at Libya, where they have these morons who are happy that they were liber liberated from one dictator, and, of course, they're going to have another one because they're Muslims and they have no concept of reality in that area. They jump around and they're shooting their guns in their air. Do you know how many people a year die in Muslim countries from bullets falling straight down? Because see, there is something called the law of gravity. What goes up will come down, usually on their head. We're talking thousands of people die yearly from shooting guns into the air and the bullets coming down on them. Yes, they are that stupid because they're inbred. It's a genetic deficiency. These are the people that our government and NATO wants to be in control of the world. I'll read you an email with my answers to it from a guy who claims his name is Will Smith with an email address of scimitar, which is an Arabic word meaning sword, scimitar at gmail.com. I recently purchased a shortwave radio. Now, that's his first lie, because this I would track this guy back. This guy is nothing more than a shill. He works for the government. I recently purchased a shortwave radio and was anxious to see what new types of programming I could find. There were several interesting broadcasts, but the one that really caught my attention was your show. And I asked him, why? What, what caught your attention? Obviously, I want to continue doing right whatever made him catch my show. He says he's, he's looking for new types of programming. All right, there's several interesting broadcasts. Now, how did he find out about mine? He wouldn't say. Yesterday, unfortunately, I tuned in during the middle of your nauseous, ill-informed, rambling, and largely incoherent tirade about the pure evil that is Islam. Your last part about Muslims being products of inbreeding was particularly disturbing. In my soul reading from the Quran, quoting Muhammad's own words, stating the dates, places of Muslim genocides, those are what you, being a good Muslim, would consider nauseous, ill-informed, rambling, and largely incoherent. As to inbreeding, that is well known. He continues, your pathetic speech vomited intolerance through my speakers in a way that I hope to never hear again in my answer. When you answer your call to prayers or attend your mosque, I presume you get enough pathetic speech vomited intolerance already. And he says, I won't hear it again from your show. And he said, if you want to rail against all religion, that is fine by me, but to single out Islam, which is only as violent as Christianity, is pure ignorance on your part. My answer was, why should I rail against all religion? Which religion straps explosives to their chests and tries to kill as many people as they can? Which religion 
religion buries women in a pit in the ground and stones them to death? Which religion forbids any other religion for practicing in their countries? Which religion is so intolerant that they threaten to kill anyone who leaves it? He goes on, this is unfortunate because I was really looking forward to enjoying your show. Please let me know if you decide to tone down the hick bullshit. And that's a quote. And my answer to him was very succinct. You being the worthless, lying piece of crap you are, do not qualify to even listen to my show. You insult America by even pretending to tune me in. You disgust any free-thinking men and women with your feeble attempt to degrade the facts I spoke of on my show. Your mere existence is an insult to the Constitution of the United States of America and to my right to speak my mind. By the way, I grant you that all you heard were my words, but I never speak of things I can't prove. Go to my site and you'll find the links. Feel free to get a true education on the reality of Islam. Another email I got, very simple. I'm a black man. Whatever happens to the white race will happen to everyone else in a very short period of time, maybe seconds. There's no safety net under what's coming. And a fool is one who thinks otherwise. So I stand with you to defend what we have because I'd rather lose my head than bow one knee towards Mecca. There were more emails that I got. I don't need to go into them. And I got some wackaloid called Jonas the Prophet. This is the failure in, a, in not just America, but every society in the world. Diversity. Tolerance. We tolerate these kind of people. We tolerate them being here. What right do they have to claim that they're American or have civil rights? They use those against us. As to the Islamic inbreeding, it's not make-believe, ladies and gentlemen. Even in the Quran, they talk about marrying your first cousin. Muhammad married his first cousin, and they continue to do that. It is extremely well-known. Reproductive Health Journal reports that the following rates are in Muslim countries. And I'm not going to go into the genetic defects that occur. But you have certain areas in the world that have extremely phenomenally high problematic birth rates. The children that are born are ex at risk and have massive problems. Algeria, 23%. This is inbred. Bahrain, 40%. Egypt, North Egypt, 20%. South, Southern Egypt, 61%. Iraq, 47%. Jordan, 29%. Kuwait, 22%. Lebanon, 12%. Libya, 48%. Morocco, 20%. Palestine, 17%. Qatar, 54%. Saudi Arabia, 42%. Sudan, 44%. Syria, 30%. United Arab Emirates, 40%. Yemen, 40%. According to the BBC, 55% of the Pakistans in Britain are married to a first cousin. And they produce a third of all children with genetic illnesses. And that's only 3% of the births in Britain. This is inbreeding. See, inbreeding doesn't affect the mind. It affects the body. And the brain is part of the body. But if the brain isn't functioning properly, then the mind can't make use of it as a tool. So you have these humans throughout the world that are being used. They don't have the ability. Now, I'm not saying just because they're Muslim, they're insane. But I'm giving you the facts of the Middle Eastern Muslims. And I don't mean Arabs. It's a difference. Because I knew people who were Persian before my son was born. I have two cuts I want to play. Bill Hurd has a story from Paris. In a northern district of Paris, a brave shopkeeper named Marie-Nage Sardin guards her little newsstand like a military fort. As a white woman, she is a minority in this mostly Arab-speaking Muslim area. She's been the victim of dozens of crimes. She's been raped, robbed, and had acid thrown at her. She says it's a campaign to get her to leave. But Nege, the daughter of a French soldier, calls her little shop a piece of French soil inside occupied territory. 
and she says she will not leave. I can't bear to tell my future grandchildren that I have done nothing to preserve our French values. So staying here is marking our territory. German Chancellor Angela Merkel now admits that multiculturalism has failed. British Prime Minister David Cameron has said it too, and they were talking specifically about immigrants from the Muslim world. The left's multicultural dream in Europe was to give Islam a special place in society. With no requirement to assimilate, multiculturalism has encouraged Muslim radicalism and Sharia law. It's leading to a new tribalism, with groups organizing along religious and ethnic lines. In cities across Europe, only the police stand in the way of open street warfare between groups. In Paris, in Sweden, in Denmark, and in Britain. France has some 751 no-go zones. The French government labels them sensitive urban zones, but what they are is dangerous to whites and non-Muslims who enter. French intellectual Guy Millier. It means that it's part of the country where uh, the police don't go, the firemen don't go, and even doctors and uh, ambulance don't go, uh, except if they have no other choice. And it's like that because these parts of the country are in the hands of drug traffickers, gangs, and imams. And that's led to the formation of groups who oppose Islam and want to protect the white native French. The leader of one of those groups, Philip Bardone of Bloc Identitaire, told me they're training their members in hand-to-hand -hand combat. He sees a dark future. Bardone complains that the white majority is treated like a minority by the government, marginalized politically and victimized by immigrant crime. The political speech, everything is okay. Oh, it's so good to feel the difference, to live together, uh, it's um, communion, it's perfect. On the other hand, you got the truth of what people are feeling. Uh, they are feeling like if they were uh, themselves foreigners in their own country. France has made some high-profile moves against Islamization, such as outlawing the veil. But in Marseille, we saw Muslim women wearing full burqas in front of French police officers, who did nothing. And we saw Muslims blocking the streets illegally for Friday prayer. Marseille is France's second city and today is one quarter Muslim, but there are parts of Marseille, like this area, that are almost completely Muslim. Some of the no-go zones function as micro-states and are governed by or under the influence of Islamic Sharia law. French journalist and author Alexander Delval. Yes, we, we, we see our society is splitting and dividing between those who are Muslims, those who are blacks, and those who are white. I asked Delval where he thinks the situation is headed. It's very simple to know it. It's a civil war. It will not be a real civil war like in Spain during Franco, you know, in those years. No, it will be a kind of local civil wars. I think one day it will be so unbearable that the state will be obliged to send the army. There are today in Europe many victims of multiculturalism like Marie Neige Sardin, people without political voices, people afraid to leave their homes. Marie told us she could not just surrender. Do we want our daughters to wear veils in the future? Do we want them to live under Sharia? law? Do we want stoning to be practiced? No, it is not possible. I want to be the symbol of no, the symbol of stop. Dale Hurd, CBN News, Paris.
All you Americans who've been following the Islamization of Europe from afar with horrified incredulity, if any of you are still nursing the cozy illusion that it could never happen in your country, it's time to wake up and rub those sleepy eyes because the moment of truth has arrived. In case you haven't heard, there's a plan afoot to build a 13-story Islamic center and mosque a few yards from ground zero in New York. A plan that's been enthusiastically welcomed by politicians and civic leaders eager to show how tolerant they are at other people's expense. Is it possible to be astonished but not surprised? Apparently it's not enough that nearly 3,000 innocent people had to lose their lives in a hideous act of religious mass murder, but now their memory has to be insulted as well, and the religion that murdered them allowed to build a towering triumphalist mosque on the ground where they died. Is America losing its mind? It says a lot about the people behind this scheme that they had the bad taste even to propose building a mosque in such a place, but to describe it as they have as a tribute to the victims is beyond bad taste and shows a profound contempt for those who died. It would be hard to imagine a more provocative gesture short of standing on their graves and burning the American flag. Yet how typical of Islam, with its own hair-trigger sensitivity to the slightest imagined insult to do something so arrogant and so insensitive. It's going to cost a hundred million dollars to build this thing, but nobody's prepared to say where the money's coming from. We do know that the Saudis fund a lot of mosque building in the West when they're not busy trying to stamp out free speech at the United Nations or tell Fox News what to broadcast, so I guess we'll all be paying for it every time we start the car. You know, it seems to me a much more appropriate place for a mosque in New York would be the United Nations building itself, because that organization has become so Islamo-friendly in recent years that frankly I'm surprised it doesn't already have a minaret. You know, I'm not even American, but it makes me sick to my stomach to think that Islam is going to be allowed anywhere near ground zero. Because 9-11 could never have happened if not for Islam and its teachings and its doctrine of jihad and its false promise of an impossible afterlife, without which none of those gullible lunatics would have been persuaded to carry out such an insane act. And also because it wasn't just an attack on America, but on all of us in the civilized world, as were the bombings in London, in Madrid, in Bali, the shootings in Mumbai, and everywhere else that the religion of peace decides it doesn't like the way people do things. Any religion that endorses violence is incapable of delivering spiritual enlightenment. How obvious does that have to be? And it has no right even to call itself a religion. Without the shield of religion to hide behind, Islam would be banned in the civilized world as a political ideology of hate, and we have no obligation to make allowances for it any more than we do for Nazism. It's a bigger threat to our freedom than Nazism ever was. Yes, both are totalitarian and both divide the world unnecessarily into us and them, the pure and the impure, and both make no secret of their desire to exterminate the Jews. But we were all more or less on the same side against the Nazis, whereas the Islamo-Nazis have got plenty of friends among people in the West who ought to know better. American politicians now regularly make the kind of dimmy noises about diversity as an excuse for Islamization. The same kind of thing that we've become so depressingly familiar with in Europe. It's true that diversity has been good for America. It's been the making of that country. But American diversity has always been grounded in respect for the values, the individual liberties that make America what it is. Islam rejects those values and that's the difference and it's a very important difference. Islam despises what America is. It rejects everything America stands for, including freedom and diversity, and any Muslim who denies that is a liar. The organization behind this scheme is called the Cordoba Initiative, and the building is to be called Cordoba House. And this is because Cordoba, or Cordoba, is the city in southern Spain where Muslims built their first great mosque at the start of, and as a symbol of, their conquest of Spain. The Ground Zero Mosque is intended to serve the same purpose in America. Building mosques on conquered sacred ground is standard practice. It's what 
Islam has always done to assert its supremacy, and that is what's happening here. And of course they know how insulting it is, how offensive it is. Are you kidding? Why do you think they chose a site as close as possible to ground zero? Or do you think that that was just an accident? And they also know that once it's built, it'll be there forever, as a permanent affront to all Americans, gloating in triumph and a major bridgehead in the ongoing stealth jihad. That's how the Muslim world will see it, and that's how they'll be encouraged to see it, and to be fair to them, that's exactly what it will be, confirming what they've always suspected, that America is a soft country, a decadent country, crippled by political correctness, confused and guilt-ridden, with no backbone and no pride. But you know, it doesn't have to be this way. Here in London, we had a similar situation just recently, where they wanted to build a gigantic mosque to overshadow the Olympic Games. Public opinion put a stop to that, and public opinion can put a stop to this disgraceful plan as well. And it can tell this group, and the politicians who support them, that enough is enough, and that this is one insult too far, and that America is a big country, and there's plenty of room for them to build their offensive mosque, if they have to, somewhere else. Somewhere perhaps more appropriate to the spirit of their religion, like the Arizona desert, or Death Valley. So a lot of people out there say, well, it's had nothing to do with us. It's, it's all of this is, is about Iraq or India or Sudan or Algeria or New York or Pakistan and Russia and Chechnya and Philippines, Indonesia, Nigeria, England, Thailand, Spain, Egypt, Bangladesh, Saudi Arabia, Turkey, Morocco, Yemen, Lebanon, France, Gaza, Tunisia, Kosovo, Bosnia, Kenya, Syria, Somalia, California, Kuwait, Virginia, Ethiopia, Iran, Jordan, United Arab Emirates, Louisiana, Texas, Tanzania, Germany, Australia, Pennsylvania, Belgium, Denmark, Qatar, Maryland, the Netherlands, Scotland, Chad, Canada, China, Nepal, the Maldives, Argentina, Mali, Angola, Ukraine, Uganda, Sweden. Well, to make the list short, just say everywhere that Islam is, there is a war being fought. I have a link here, list of Islamic terror attacks for the past two months. Pakistan, six killed. Afghanistan, nine killed. Afghanistan, 11 killed. Sudan, seven killed, 12 injured. Nigeria, uh, 10 killed, 30 wounded. Nigeria, 150 killed, 200 injured. Iraq, 10 killed, 40 injured. Iraq, 12 killed, 62 injured. Somalia, 10 killed. And do you think I'm talking to NATO forces killed? No. These are other Muslims. Iraq, 36 killed, 78 injured. Somalia, 10 killed, 2 injured. Philippines, 19 killed, 14 injured. Iraq, 10 killed, 40 injured. See, I can't keep going on and on, ladies and gentlemen, because there's 250 of these on this link. Let me make something clear so that you understand this. I don't have to be a Christian or Hindu or Sikh or Shinto or any religion in any way, shape, or form to find this disgusting. In my research, I've seen beheadings, chopping off of hands and feet and arms and fingers, stonings. Now, this isn't where they throw gravel at you, ladies and gentlemen. They take a woman, bury her up to her belly button in the dirt, and then they throw rocks at her until her head is mulched. When I do research, I don't just read a few things that some intelligence agent came up with. I saw a 14-year-old girl who had been raped by her 40-year-old uncle. She was raped by him. In the Quran, it's her fault. So she was whipped to death. They burn churches. Right now they're doing so in Egypt. They burn Christian churches. And in Libya, Libya is now a democratic country, right? It's so democratic that they're burning and murdering all the Christians. You haven't heard much about that, have you? But that's in the name of Islam. Before my son was born, my wife and I knew a guy named, let's just call him Frank. And he was very proud to have been from Persia. He said he left Persia in the late 60s because he could see insanity coming, which it pretty much did in 1978. It became an Islamic nation. He uh, he worked for the government. He actually he was a 
predator control, he would hunt tigers. And he told my wife and I, he said, there is an evil coming to the Middle East. He actually is one of the few owners of a 7-Eleven in California that wasn't uh, from India. And he would tell us, he said, I saw, my family and I saw the evil coming. We saw it. It was off people were dying because of, of their beliefs. And what he meant was Muslims have, as in all religions, if you can imagine a volume control knob on them, if you crank it to the right, that puts you 100% Muslim, which means that you follow insanity. You crank it all the way to the left, and you just, you know, pick and choose some of the things you want to believe and what you don't want to believe. But I can tell you this. Where Islam goes, so goes their insanity. Islam, by its very definition, it will never conform to the American way of life. Our laws or our constitution. Islam cannot exist with any other religion or set of laws. That is forbidden. Period. There's not a question about them melting in with the rest of America. No, it is forbidden. Islam promotes the vilest form of intolerance, hatred, and overall disrespect for life, liberty, and individuality. The whole concept of Islam was created by an insane murderer, rapist, and thief. And in the beginning, Islam drew from the ranks of the lowest form of mankind. And then by conquest, murder, slavery, inbreeding, it grew and grew and grew. Islam is the opposite of civilization. It's the poster child for death, destruction, and perversion of a nation, a society, a group, and even the individual himself. Islam and Muslims are being used as a tool to destroy any society that is built on laws, morals, and ethics. Islam replaces laws with insanity. Islam replaces respect with hatred. Islam replaces honor with murder. Islam replaces individualism with torture. And it replaces civilization with destruction. It's the perfect tool for the end of the world. Anyone who promotes it or even tolerates it are the true enemies of mankind. Be they puppets or not, the media has been both promoting Islam and tolerating their atrocities. But this media has been lying to us and hiding the reality and the truth from us. This is going to be a cold, hard fact that most people aren't even going to want to confront facing. Allowing evil is even worse than performing evil. And allowing Islam into any civilized nation is as evil as putting a gun to a 12-year-old child's head and then pulling the trigger and laughing about it. You have no clue. You have no idea the reality of Islam. Saudi Arabia in 2006 in a soccer field. Hundreds of people were out there and there was a woman in a burqa, blue burqa. Everyone else is in white stuff and they're all talking and chatting and, and laughing and everything and they calmly walked her out in the middle of the field, had her kneel down and put a bullet in her head and then turned around and walked off and they're laughing and chatting and this is nothing because women are nothing in Islam. Is that what you want here? Even a guy who I detest is being interviewed in a radio station in Chicago about something else. He's not really talking about Islam, but he's talking about the media. When they went to commercial break, you have on one side of the room a dozen different media personality. I'm okay, filming, radio, TV, internet, all of this. Comes to it, it comes to the break and, and Louis Farrakhan has something important to say to the media. The media is bought and paid for. This is a hell of a, a betrayal of the American people when you will not tell them the truth because you're afraid that if you tell the truth, your bosses will take your job from you. That's a hell of a thing. You don't have a democracy when you don't have a free press. You're all slaves. And you love it. So you deserve what you get. The erosion of your democracy. 
you'll soon be the laughing stock of the world. It's a damn shame. That's why the children are occupying space in New York, in Boston, in Washington, in Chicago, in San Francisco, in other cities. Why? Because they're not looking to you as a source of information for them. Look how long it took you all to talk about what was going on in New York. It took you two weeks because the same people that controlled the banks controlled the media. You all know it, but you're afraid to say it. But God put it on Farrakhan to say it for you. And maybe one day you'll get some courage to stand up and give America free media, a real free fourth estate. But right now, you ain't even worth the time of day. I'm glad. Hell, I'm not hiding nothing. You need somebody to tell the truth. You need somebody that's not afraid to die for the truth that you could be made free. Because you're not free. And you don't really know what it means to really be a free white person, a free black person, a free Mexican, a free Arab. If you're afraid to tell the truth, what future does your children have in a society where truth is brushed to the curb? I thank God for the young man that invented this wonderful technology, Steve Jobs. That's the man that's freeing the whole planet where Zbigniew Brzezinski could say yesterday it was easier to control a million people than to kill a million people. Then now he says it's easier to kill a million people than to control a million people because the genie is out of the box, the cat is out of the bag, the people all over the world are waking up. And you need to wake up and free America. Then you'll have a future and your children will have a future. But if you're afraid, afraid for what? You're going to die anyway. Where can you run to escape death? Um, if you love America, then fight for America to be free. When I heard this tirade, there was more to it than that, but when I heard the tirade, I thought, you know what, he's not on the air right now, so he's going to say the stuff he really feels, and he did. And he is not wrong. If you don't stand up, if you don't say that is perversion, that is disgusting, and if you don't stop it, it will infect you. Islam is a virus. It's self-replicating as long as you don't fight back. They're teaching it in your schools. Those of you who have children, you're a failure as a parent if you allow them to go through this public school system in the United States. I don't give a crap about your excuse about I can't we both got to work blah blah I homeschooled my son I never allowed him one day in this public school system and my brother foolishly allowed his daughter into public school until she was uh, and I, I don't remember exactly the age she was like 12 or 13 she brought home a book that said Johnny's two fathers I'm saying to him this is what they're teaching and he said no that's insane they would never teach insanity in our schools and the instant it was proven to him he took her out of the school and our schools are teaching insanity. We're at war. We're at war between right and wrong, good and evil. It's not, and this is not religious. <laughs> you know, this is the funny thing. It has nothing to do with religious. You could have never in your whole life heard of the word God or Jesus or Muhammad or Buddha or any of the other dozens and dozens of prophets and deities. Even an amoeba knows when something is threatening its very existence. So I'm sorry, you're going to have to stop hanging on to the coattails of life. You're going to have to 
take that damn coat off of life and put it on yourself. And you're going to have to start paying attention a little bit more than you have been. I'm done with this. This is it. I'm, I'm not doing any more of this uh, Islam crap. You've been forewarned. Those of you who have been warned no longer have an excuse for allowing it. You have kids in the public school. You will hear of it. There's even schools now that are teaching. They're having Muslim week where you have to act like a Muslim and do the prayers and get down on your knees and bow your head to Mecca. And your children are doing that. Ye shall reap what ye sow. These seeds that you allow to be planted, there is no mystery about what's going to come from it. There is no mystery whatsoever of what's going to grow from it. People, I just wanted to make sure that you understood some of these things. You know, again, I go back to forewarned is forearmed. See, I grew up on the Indian Reservation, and my mentor was uh, my grandfather, who he was a real mountain man. He was a real man. I don't know how else to put it. He worked in the lumber yard. He taught me how to hunt, shoot, track, how to throw a knife, how to skin, how to cook, how to heal, and how to fight. And in my universe, there is no such thing as a fair fight. Unfortunate thing in to civilized people is that they feel there is a, a such a thing as a fair fight, so we want to, you know, make it all fair and tolerate this and tolerate that, and by the time... We're on the ground and they're kicking our faces and most of us are upset about getting snot on their boots, but not me. Uh, I'm, I'm just a little bit different. The Middle East is not the Garden of Eden. It is not all bread and honey. You have to work to survive. There is no welfare there. That concept doesn't occur until you have an area as stupid as America. You can't just grab a handful of seed and throw it outside and grow yourself an avocado orchard. In some areas, you can grow things, but it's hard life. And generally, in areas in the Middle East, and I'm being general because it's a large area, generally in the areas of the Middle East that were not near government areas, so in other words, less Islamic imams or sheiks or religious personages where people were just, you know, going their day to day, all types of people could live together. Just because they're Arab does not mean they're Muslim. Persians were not Arabs. They were Persians. They're different, but there were Muslims amongst them. All through history, we have over 1,400 years of truth to look at. The area there leaves very little room for sanity because survival in that realm is not something to where that you would say, hmm, I wonder if I went this way, I'd, I'd be better off if I went this way, or hmm, I don't know, I'm, let me sit down and think about it. And then you have the interbreeding that is so prevalent in the, in the Middle East. I've read treaties on interbreeding in the Middle East. This is not anything new. This has been talked about for a thousand years. You can't point at Islam and say you're the cause of it because it's, it it's been going on for millennium. You're kind of limited. You know what I mean? you got a city population of 14. You're probably going to be related to most of them. So this is kind of problematic in the area. Nothing can exist with them. Everyone knows that. Not thinks that. Everyone knows that. And to inject a nation that shares its own views of intolerance or has its own views of intolerance called Israel, to put them in the middle of it is in itself insane. Now understand that I look at all of this non-religiously, and I mean that. I'm exterior to that whole viewpoint. I look at it only as this person does this, this guy does that, and I base my evaluations on the facts. Not my personal evaluation, not my personal feelings, not my religious feelings 
or anything like that. I base it on fact. And I have massive research I've done on the Middle Eastern area, and that includes Israel. Anyone who thinks that, it, that Israel is our friend is, is out of their freaking mind. There are more Israeli spies within the United States at this point right now than there are Soviet spies, and there always has been. But I look at that whole area as an area of degradation. I look at the whole Middle East. The only reason that anyone in that area can speak English is because uh, Standard Oil went in there and discovered oil. That's the only reason they have semi-automatic weapons and speak English and have toilets to crap in instead of the holes in the sand. I mean that literally. They, they are civilized quote-unquote, only because of the influx of Western civilization, which unfortunately went there to use them, not necessarily civilize them. Personally, I see no reason for it to exist. It could The whole Middle East could turn into a, a nuclear slag heap, and I would yawn and say, pass the mushrooms. It means nothing whatsoever. We have more oil in the United States now than all of the Middle East. There is more oil in Alaska than there is in all of the rest of the world, so we have no need for them. Based on reality and facts, and statistics, all of this put together, somebody's using it to destroy things, to control things. It's as simple as that. I have Jeff on the line. Come in, Jeff. This is Kurt. What can I do for you? Oh, Kurt, um, I have a contribution to make as far as Islam is concerned. In the okay. Boston area in Roxbury, there's the Islamic Society of Boston located in Roxbury. It is the largest mosque in the New England area. Mir Menino gave the Muslims of the city of Boston that land for a discount price. He might as well have given it to them. As far as that mosque is concerned, that mosque is an incubator for a terrorist and radical. Like you said, Islam has a volume control, and I agree with you 100%. My fear is... Those Muslims someday will be supported by Russia and China, and they will bomb the John Hancock Tower, bring it right down, stick a truck bomb in there, and, and this martial law in Boston. And all I have to say is, if that happens, Mir Menino will have blood on his hands, along with Deval Patrick. And well, they and won't, you know see, here's the thing. They yeah. won't have to do that here in this country, because within a few years, there will be enough Muslims and Muslim sympathizers to actually elect their own president. They can do this now in cities all throughout the United States. Southern in California doesn't yeah. have the Muslim problems. They have the illegal problems, the illegal Mexicans. And they have so many of them now that they literally elect their own people there. They elect illegals. They elect people who sympathize with the illegals into power in, uh, in wow. all of Southern California. And so the Muslims are simply going to be taking over by uh, playing by our rules called politics. And they'll just simply vote other Muslims in. Sharia law, which I don't even have time to go into, it is the source of evil on this planet. It, it is the source and they are mandating that law. It is the law of Muhammad and it my, is being question, mandated okay. in cities in the United States. My question is, will the Muslims outbreed the white people? Will these yes. will these illegal aliens out, literally outbreed us? Because you know, demography is destiny and, and there was a, a, a survey that said by a, by a Harvard demographer that says that a study done that um, basically in 2040 we're going to be be a black, a, an Afro-Chicano Spanish-speaking country, and guys like me and you are going to be in the doghouse. Let me tell you something my grandpa told me, and yes. it stayed with me since I was eight years old. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for I am the meanest son of a bitch in the valley. <laughs> I like that one. So, I do, Kurt. I, I think I'm not going to worry about being in one. the doghouse. I, I, they'll, they'll definitely take me out, though, if given the chance. 
you owe it to yourself, your family, your loved ones, your nation to do your own research. I think every person should own a Quran. I have two of them here. I have five Bibles, different versions of them, and then I have two Qurans, and I have other religious works in my library along with about three shelves of firearm research material and you know, all kinds of neat things. You owe it to yourself to find out for yourself. I'm really happy that I entertain you on a Sunday afternoon or when you download me, but I don't know how else to put it to you. I don't know how to explain it and how to be so adamant about it. You have to find out the truth because if you don't, you will fall for their lies. I don't like Farrakhan, but I can tell you right now, if you can download the show, play him again. He wasn't talking to just white people. He was talking to everyone, and he was telling everyone the media lies because they're afraid. I have a whole expose on Fox News. Fair and balanced. A team found a whole bunch of information on Monsanto and, and the evils in Monsanto. And they were on, on Fox News and were ready to, to go forward with it all. And Fox News shut them down because uh, the owner of the company is a large contributor and shareholder in Monsanto, knowing full well what they're doing. So that's just, you know, the media is afraid to say anything or won't say anything because they don't want their heads on the block or they don't want to lose their income. And this is what I mean by ignorance will be the downfall of, of all mankind. Muslim women are covered. They're not supposed to cover themselves head to toe to tips of fingers. They are supposed to cover their ankles and their breasts and certain other areas that some men would find becoming. The nape of the neck. Do you remember the, the, the series, what was that, uh, 30 minutes a day? It was uh, I Dream of Jeannie. And she wore a, a, a bodice and her belly was open and then she wore the flowering pants. And prior to Mohammed, Muhammad, the men, the Arab men that had women, they well, they claim they said, my, my woman is, is a great lover because her clothes drop instantly. And that's why the, the clothes were always a lot of veils and a lot of flowing beautiful silk and loose. Mm -hmm. So by pulling a single strand, their pants would fall. That was before Muhammad. Now people think wrongly, of course, that this is a, you're, you're correct about how the women cover themselves out of modesty. They don't. I said there was a 14-year-old girl that was whipped to death because she allowed her uncle to rape her. She sexually, according to the Quran, she sexually teased him, and men, being base creatures, can't control their uh, lust. So some men, if they see a bare ankle, will rape you. If they see uh, the nape of your neck, they will rape you. I wanted to get across to you some truth on Islam, because we have no friends, none, who are Muslim in any way, shape, or form. You have a volume control knob on Muslims. All the way down, you got some guy that smokes and drinks and goes to the mosque once a week and pretends he's a Muslim and just likes the idea of, of saying he's a Muslim and he's from Pakistan and his father was a Muslim and his father's father was and father, father, father was all the way back to when they were first conquered. It's almost like being a Democrat. It's genetic. Once somebody uses intelligence, they stop being a Democrat and they stop being a, a Muslim. And then you crank it all the way up and you have people who strap about 20 pounds of C4 taped with ball bearings onto their chest and they walk into a schoolyard. All Muslims strive for the full control of the world via Islam. This is a dangerous psychosis. Humanity is like water. It takes the path of least resistance. And when it comes to the Middle East, the path of least resistance is Islam. They're dangerous. I don't care. Yeah, my next door neighbor's a Muslim. He's great. He mows his lawn, blah, blah, blah. He will slit your throat if he's told to. He will plant bombs if he's told to. He will do everything he can to destroy American values, morals, ethics, and integrity. He will do this. Right now is happening that which has been warned about for a 100 years. 
The caliphate has been created in the Middle East, and this is part of the prophecy in Islam, the final days of the world, where Islam takes over the world. And that's exactly what's happening in the Middle East. No, it's that's what's happening here in the United States. There are places in the United States you can't go if you're white. There are places in the United States, and I don't, I'm not talking about Oakland, California, guys. I'm talking about in Michigan, Detroit. And it's not because of blacks or Mexicans. It's because of Muslims. There are places that you can't sleep past 5 a.m. because the call to prayer is so loud and on speakers and permeates the air. There are places where the police don't go because Sharia law is in effect there and the police would be attacked. This is in America. Why? Because we've allowed it. We're being invaded. No ifs, ands, or buts. Not a question. This, uh, these so-called children that are now invading our southern United States, you have to remember what the Democrats call children. And when I use the term Democrats, I'm tying it in with communists, socialists, government, Democrats, all of those things that are actively working to the destruction of America. A child is anyone from 26 and under. Uh, the majority of murders in the United States are committed by those. And they're allowing them in the United States. The card blanche, come on in, boom, in. And they were planning for this as of January this year. This is not new. This is not out of the blue. This is planned, orchestrated, and choreographed by a conspiracy of Democrats and Republicans. In other words, all politicians. Basically, you have you. That's what you have. You have you and your loved ones and those that you can trust. And that's what you have to do is pay attention to them and make sure they are safe. Make sure they have food, they have an income, they have a good running car, they have a place to go, and make sure they have the education necessary to understand that Islam is the enemy of everything that has to do with freedom. They're not just our enemy. And this is not me evaluating this. They have vowed the destruction of the United States and that the flag of Islam would fly over the White House. That means we're fully under control of Sharia law. What is Sharia law? Oh, let's say you take a couple a box of pencils home from work. And of course, in America, most people will steal from work. You get caught, they cut your hand off. They don't fire you. They don't write a, a reprimand. They cut your hand off. In, under Sharia law, if you aren't covered in a burqa, you will be whipped in public. If you talk back to your husband, depending on the severity of your disobedience, he can kill you. That's what Islam is. I think it's astounding when these idiot females in the United States fall in love with some Muslim on the internet. And this just happened. Some 19-year-old girl fell in love with one of these one of these uh, mar these guys that are busy killing each other over there in the Middle East. So she decided to jump on a plane and head over there and fight alongside of her love. Well, she got snagged by the FBI. Why? Because she was too stupid and, and posted everything she was going to do on the Internet, which, as we all know, is a revolving door directly to the NSA. Just understand that all Muslims are your enemies. And an enemy has a volume control knob as well. Mostly, the volume control is down. But Muslims are like wolves. By themselves, they'll listen to reason. When they have a pack of them, they go insane. This is seen all over the world. This is now seen in America. All right, that's all I got for now. You guys take care and be very, very careful. We have the American Communist Party is in 100% control of the United States, and they're going to start shoving more and more communistic crap down our throats on a day-by-day -day basis. You have to pay attention. This is the Armchair Survivalist signing off. Keep your nose in the air and ear to the ground, and I hope I see you next time.